0: Took me a second to find the button there, <laughs> <laughs> as though I've never done this before. The big R, or uh, little R. is it even an R? Mine's a red circle. Well, I just hit my the R on my keyboard. That's how uh. I start recording. <laughs> You didn't hear this. No one heard this. (laughs) Behind the scenes facts. Uh, Garage band. Welcome for another week. This is the Spooky Succubus cast, an anti-racist, hopefully intersectional, hopefully anti-capitalist podcast. We bit off more than we can chew this week with... um, It's my fault. I'm... I mean, I've said this
1: before, but I'm dumb. Like, I'm stupid. I don't... I... I don't know if
0: I, I don't have the capacity. I don't know what's going to happen. This complex movie, yeah, over <laughs> the next hour or so. But uh, stick with us? Question mark. <laughs> so uh, I don't is, know how to make this fun either. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I, I think it's kind of like sexy and fun in some ways. It is sexy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it isn't. its in... its Sort of self-serious, but it's sort of not. Whatever. We have a lot to talk about. We are talking about Bill Gunn's nineteen seventy-three black exploitation kind of experimental horror film, Ganja and Hess. Um, very interesting movie. So, I guess as we said before, I'm dumb. You're dumb. So I didn't know this was like Half an experimental videos. art film. I thought it was like truly a straight ahead like vampire black exploitation, And then it's so much more. And we are so stupid. But uh, disclaimer, as always, we are white and have proximity to whiteness. Uh, I'm white. Rebecca is a non-black woman of color. So we are talking about a complex story about complex black characters made by a really revolutionary, experimental black director in the 70s. And that's not our job. No one asked us to do this. No one asked us to do this. And I'm like,
1: yeah, I just think like the crippling fear of um, like coming off as offensive or like that i i didn't do enough research or that i don't have enough appreciation yeah. for this like really beautiful well-made underappreciated film is like really really hitting my heart you know i don't know what to do i don't know where I know
0: to go. and i think really what we decided is is it better to Perpetrate unintentional racism by mishandling this movie which we're probably going to do and we're trying to hold ourselves accountable and be thoughtful and um again i think we said this on the instagram but if you hear something that is bad and you're like you got that so wrong please let us know and drop your venmo handle so if you are a person of color we'll pay you like as much as we can for your labor we're also poor uh so I mean, yeah. yeah we were
1: just talking about our poverty <laughs> earlier um, capitalism
0: um is stupid. <laughs> yes but um yeah is it better to make missteps in talking about the movie and giving it space or is it better to contribute to violent erasure of people of color and complex black stories in hollywood and so we went with what the less shitty option is. We think, and right. we're gonna try to talk about this. But we're sorry. We're, I, we're sorry up at the top.
1: I mean, we're all complicit in white supremacy, right? We like exist within these systems and benefit from them. Without, you know, we're complicit, but I don't have any. I don't have any power. What, but. Also, like we're talking about all these dumb, stupid horror movies that are classically white, classically male, classically heteronormative, and truly, and we straight. pick them
0: because they're easy. Sometimes, right? You know, we... Yeah, like it's really easy to talk about the faculty,
1: like. So easy and fun and... But, you know, there's also, like...
0: Like, we are two very overworked, exhausted, broke, <laughs> millennial garbage bags. But I right. think, like, since we've carved out this, like, miniature platform for ourselves, it wouldn't be right to, uh, like, participate in perpetrating racism by saying we're too tired to cover things that really matter, like, cover things right. that are difficult to talk about. So... I mean we ha- I found a lot of good sources which I'll credit in the episode notes and uh, right. we're doing we're doing our best the lord's work.
1: Uh but I mean I, yeah I think like this podcast made me watch this movie that like I never would have watched. Totally this. Yeah, would, yeah it was like very difficult for me to find and that not a lot of people have seen but that was really beautiful and that I feel like I got a lot out of Mm -hmm. and if we us couple of dirtbags talking about this movie makes anyone else watch this really important film then I feel like that's a good thing even if we do some bad and even if we
0: I know. I hope we don't Say do some stupid shit. Damage. <laughs> I don't know. But also, learning about Bill Gunn was fascinating because yeah. he was hired twice to make like straight-ahead blockbuster, like black exploitation movies, and he kind of just like sneaky manipulated the producers and just kind of like did what he wanted and made like, masterpieces of black cinema. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was just
1: like, uh, nah, fuck you guys. I'm gonna take your money and do what I want. Yeah,
0: like, I just made this movie and it's, they were like, wait, but we asked for, like, Blackula? And this is what you gave us? And he's like, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. And that's like, this movie is talked about a lot in relation to Blackula, which is like a more straightforward black exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he was, he wanted to talk about race and class and, his own experience like you know the experiences of his people so black
0: sexuality without like inherent ties to trauma like there's so many complex representations of different characters and there's so much narrative divergence you sort of like are inherently decolonized when you watch this movie because you are forced to absorb different um, like versions of black characters and they're all complex and they none of them are like the driving force of the narrative. They all contribute in different ways. So you don't have to like buy into any like colonizer stereotype of like good guy, bad guy. You just get to right. sort of experience it. Um and yeah, I feel like we're not the people to decide this, but it is interesting to even talk about it under the realm of black exploitation because right. it didn't exploit black audiences in the way it was supposed to. It mostly exploited white producers. So
1: A plus. Good for them. I mean, yeah, black exploitation is also like a very complex uh, topic because it was giving space and room for black creators and black actors and black stories. But it was all done in the pursuit of capitalism and money and to exploit black audiences who are like an up-and-coming demographic. And Hollywood was like, oh, wait, we can make money off of black people. Let's put, you know, if we put black people in movies. And that's the only reason it happened.
0: We have directors like Quentin Tarantino profiting off of <laughs> black exploitation movies and uh-huh. taking ownership and reclaiming them for, like, the cishet white community. White audiences, Yeah. Which is...
1: Also, like, so I watched uh, Badass, which is like a black cinema. It's like Badass Black Cinema is like an IFC documentary and heavily like featured old school Quentin IFC. Tarantino. God, which are, like, I love TV documentaries and I did get some like good out of it. But like, why let Quentin Tarantino talk? I just don't understand it. You're really going to put Bell Hooks and Quentin Tarantino in the same yeah. documentary? i like, come on. It's just like, yes, he has something to say about it, but only because he stole it. Only because he stole this experience and then profited off of it without really crediting anyone. Do because, you feel like, like
0: Quentin Tarantino overuses the term motherfucker because he wants to say the N-word and can't? And it's like a placeholder? Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, and he's given room for like black leads but he's also the ultimate benefactor of all of this and like because he was he was making these movies that were like really rem- like resonating with white young men like then they didn't go in look and watch shaft they didn't go and explore black cinema they took it yeah, they took it at face value, and then they felt comfortable saying
0: the N-word. I just... <laughs> I no. Yeah, I feel like the cherry on top, a.k.a. the like final straw, was definitely Django. Like, you're really going to steal the narratives of enslaved people and then paint it in a way where it's like, you sort of paint, like, a former enslaved person as victorious, but at the expense of, like... That person's agency and personhood, and it's infantilizing and fetishizing, uh, and very (laughs) fetishizing. There's no space for like real complex black stories, and I demand justice for ultimate daddy Jamie Foxx. God, I love Jamie Foxx,
1: but and so it just it's upsetting to me. I don't know because a lot of like a lot of his movies are also direct. Direct ripoffs, not homages. They are directly ripped off. Yeah. From exploitation movies mm-hmm. and from Japanese cinema. Like it's they are so shot for bad. shot. It's bad. Like he is stealing from BIPOCs and profiting off of them without really giving them credit. It's it's bullshit. You it's have to
0: tell bullshit. you have to tell your boyfriends that they can't watch Kill Bill anymore. Sorry. It's over. I mean, you
1: have to tell me I can't watch.
0: Caribbean I already anymore. told you and you know it. I know. And
1: I have it on. I do have it on DVD.
0: Uh, should we get into the story?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. OK. <laughs> I'm not ready. Do you want to do it? I can do it. No,
1: I, I'm I'm ready. I watched it two and a half times for this
0: Uh, plot. For this moment. This is your for time this moment, to shine. I, We've been leading
1: up to it. OK, so we open. On, that was my knuckle. I
0: love up. it. I love it. I love it. I'm That's hyping you up.
1: Um, we open on expository titles that read Dr. Hess Green, Doctor of Anthropology and Geology, while studying the ancient black civilization of Myrithia. Someone had to Mirthia? rewind this
0: four times. I was like, whoa, Mirthia? I cannot read what? this fast. It's going
1: so quickly. Yeah. And I think I read kind of fast, but uh, was stabbed by a stranger three
0: times. Murthia. Sorry. Mirthia,
1: Mirthia. Okay. One f- for just, the It just
0: clocked that that's what you were trying to do. <laughs> Murcia. Uh, I can't read.
1: Uh, one for the God, the Father. One for the Son. Stabbed with a dagger, diseased from the ancient that ancient culture. Whereupon he became addicted and could not die, nor could he be killed. Um, and then we pan over like traditional Western statues, and then the title Goncha, and has appears. We move from the statues to a church congregation, where we see a young priest talking to um, the audience, and then the priest narration kind of intercedes with the like singing and soundtrack. So, um, for
0: clarity, this is not a priest; it's a reverend. Reverend,
1: would I mm-hmm. say priest? Priest. Yeah, I'm
0: not a Christian. Well, neither What's am I. But I think something that's been really interesting for me as I like work through trying to become an anti-racist is realizing the significance that the black church plays in like community building because I have so much religious trauma. <laughs> um so I think it's important to clarify like the reverend, the minister is like a pillar of the black community. And I don't know that like I could be completely wrong, but I think like Baptist churches, Lutheran churches are more prevalent than Catholic churches in the BIPOC community. And right, and a priest is it's Catholic. like Episcopalian or Catholic, yeah. The more you know, and there's a big star. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, and
1: then so see, then I like I I'm gonna use the term priest and reverend kind of accidentally interchangeably, because then he says I say he says he's Reverend Luther Williams, um, but he's also a part time chauffeur and stableman for Doctor Hess Green.
0: And uh, uh Luther Williams is played by Sam, Sam Wayman. Wayne. Who does Who is Bill
1: Gunn's um life partner. And also does the soundtrack.
0: And was Nina, is Nina Simone's brother. Yes. And that's how they met
1: at a party that Nina Simone threw. It's so like, cute. Did you notice so there's
0: cute. a Nina Simone magazine in Hess Green's living room at one point? I was like, Easter egg. <laughs> um, so
1: what was I saying? Oh, Luther is driving Dr. Hess, um to a museum and the screen reads part one victim they um as a museum he's shown around by a white guy and introduced to his new assistant george Maeda, Uh back at hess's lavish mansion uh, servants wait on their every need and it becomes clear that Maida is unstable he's staying with him with dr hess for a while while he looks for a place um hess is having strange dreams featuring um who is the queen of mirtha what i say what'd you say mirthia mirthia it's like mirthia um and he's like yeah having strange dreams of people in masks and his um encounters earlier in the day and then um he we see that he has a dagger artifact in his bedroom that he's like playing with not a Uh, great spot to keep it
0: particularly if you know the implications of what it can do
1: yeah uh but he's unhappy so like i think that's part of it right is that it's like the danger
0: yeah really like complex and brooding and he's a sad boy he's like looking for something and then he's a vampire and he's like this isn't it (laughs) this wasn't
1: what i wanted (laughs) yeah um Maida gets drunk and climbs a tree with the intention of hanging himself
0: uh, that was finds pretty, him, a pretty wonderful like beautiful shot but like really yeah. really unsettling Yeah, see his legs, feet like, dangling. dangling from the tree
1: um, and the way that he's talking is like this is like a yeah it was like unsettling the way that he's because he's like aggressive but sad but like resigned it's yeah, yeah. it's like a
0: Bill Gunn's a great it's actor. It's a beautiful,
1: it's a it's a beautiful movie and really well done, all around. Dwayne Jones, what?
0: Um, I so know, hot. and Marlene Clark, like, dude, she's so right. good in this movie. Yeah. Um,
1: so Hess talks him down. Uh, back at the house, Maida literally, of, literally talks him down from the tree. Uh, back at the house, Maida tells him of the other times he's contemplated suicide and that he's playing both the victim and the murderer. Bum bum bum! Foreshadowing. Uh, later, Maida sneaks into Hess's room and tries to kill him with an axe. Uh, Hess wakes up and they tussle. Maida grabs the dagger and stabs Hess three times. Um, and then Maida writes a sort of suicide letter addressed addressed to black male children. Um, one of the lines is, "To be adored on this planet, you must be a symbol of success, and you must not succeed."
0: It was. Uh, there's powerful. a powerful powerful and there's a note in my notes to google it and read more about it and guess who didn't do that <laughs> whoops i didn't do it either um Smeda takes
1: a bath and brushes his teeth in the water i was disturbed don't do that do it people do that Gross. <sighs> i was like <sighs> yeah you're
0: That's like your, your own it. like person water it's like but juice, put that in your mouth. Um, yeah. butt juice. I wash. I brush my teeth in the shower sometimes. Yeah, but you,
1: you're not laying in that water. Like says that's who? The difference. Okay, maybe. But are you like scrub? Are you like sucking from the bottom of yep. the shower? That's what I do. <laughs> I wrap
0: yep. it up like a dog. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, Hess has survived and awakes. And is a and wakes up without a scratch on him. He hears the shot and runs into the bathroom. He starts calling someone, presumably like an ambulance, but then sees the blood and drinks it from the floor. Um and then we've got some more jazzy uh, tunes. and then we see part two survival. Hess is stealing blood bags from doctors to feed his cravings. Um, at his estate, we meet his son at a party who goes to he's like a privileged kid. He goes to a Private school, boarding um, and school, and is learning yeah. boarding school. That's what I was looking for. And is learning French. Um, but has has to leave the party and runs out to go drink more blood. Uh, he then goes to a bar and picks up a sex worker at her place or like an apartment hookup. I don't know. Uh, they're making out. Was a it's nice a apartment.
0: It's pretty. I like that. Where uh, is the this movie cover? Set? Is set? Nice. Do we know New York? West oh yeah, Western he lives in like Westchester County, right? Um,
1: but the pimp comes in and stabs him in the back. They fight, and then Hess kills him. The sex worker shoots him, but he's fine. And then he kills her too. Um, he because sta- th- th- he's a vampire without like fangs, so he has to stab them and then drink their blood. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's work. Um, and but then he vomits afterwards. And then we go to part three, letting go. Uh, Hess gets a call from Maida's wife. Ganja looking for her uh, he dismisses her at first and hangs up and then when she calls back uh, he tells her that Maid has disappeared um, she, says, she says he'll show up eventually and then she tells him that she doesn't have enough money for a hotel room so she's going to stay at his place um, and he sends a limo to pick her up they drink together and get a little sexy. Uh, he wakes up from bed and runs to the attic to drink more blood. Ganja follows him and they have sex again. At breakfast, uh Ganja is really interested in Hesse's wealth and is ordering around a uh, worker of Hess's Archie. Poor Archie, man. I know I feel for him. Archie and Luther um, both.
0: Like, I don't I don't wanna help you be a vampire, but like capitalism yeah
1: yeah exactly um and she's rude to everyone uh Hess leaves for work and she tells him she's gonna make him dinner that night and asks him if he believes in marriage uh Hess stops on his way to work or just straight up doesn't go to work and picks up a young woman with a baby he kills her and drinks her blood At the estate, Ganja realizes she forgot to get wine and demands Archie tell her where the wine fridge is, even though he refuses at first because Hess doesn't like anyone going in there without him. In the wine fridge, she finds Maida's dead body. At dinner, Ganja seems upset, but she doesn't, um, come out immediately that she found it, found her husband's dead body in her lover's fridge, um... And then she finally says it and storms off, but returns pretty much immediately when he doesn't follow her. She then tells him that um, a story from her childhood, that when she was a girl, she loved winter. In Boston. In Boston. Um, And her mother uh, slaps her for being chased by boys and calls her a slut uh little ganja tries to defend herself and says that she was just playing but her mother um always treated her like a disease so after that day ganja decided that she was a disease and her mother was gonna feel it and she was done trying to please her she also decided that that day she would only be concerned for herself um so she moves on pretty quickly from uh maida's death
0: to be fair
1: maida probably put her through it like so probably, yeah, not a good husband, clearly. Uh, Ganja and Hess are happy together. They're like running around playing and they get married um, by Reverend Luther. Uh, Hess turns Ganja into a vampire in like a ceremonial way this time, but still with the same dagger. Mm-hmm. Unclear uh, Hess- if it's consensual. Uh, she's like, I mean, she goes there. She, she knows goes he's a vampire, there yeah. right? and they're both wearing like blankets and she's holding Daisy. So it feels it feels like she knew what was going yeah. on. But maybe she didn't quite understand what how that it would hurt or that she was really going to die. I don't know. Uh, Hess brings over a young man and Ganja seduces him and they have sex and then she kills him and drinks his blood. Uh, as they drag the body outside, she's convinced he's alive and she's pretty upset. Um, Hess returns to Reverend Luther's church to repent and be blessed. Um, he stands in the shadow of a cross because that's the only way he thinks he can die, but Gonja refuses to join him and then he does die. Uh, the ambulance and paramedics take his body away, and Gonja stands alone at the window as a young man. The young man that she killed earlier emerges from the pool and runs towards her, um, and she smiles to herself. Fiend. Beautiful. Good job. Not a lot happens in those two hours. It's true, but there's
0: a lot of long shots, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of, like, the sex scenes are, like, five minutes long, at least.
0: I like it. It's, um... I mean, I found a really good article that talks about kind of the sexuality in this movie if you want to start there yeah let's start okay so uh i'll acknowledge the article source name it's called let it go black desire an erotic subject and the erotic subject in the films of bill gunn and the author is marlo d david and y'all i'm pretty sure this article like radicalized me it's so good you should read it <laughs> So uh, the phrase let it go black comes from like the making of Ganja and Hess because at one point uh, the lighting technician was trying to light uh, Dwayne Jones to make him appear lighter and the cinematographer mm-hmm. refused and said like light everyone the same because it brings out like all of the tonality in the many like actors on screen which was really great. Uh, so that kind of became this author Marlo David's through line for like, letting it go black as in letting um, multiple evocations, multiple depictions of black sexuality appear on screen. So uh, the setup is essentially that there is always a critical tension between showing black sexuality on screen because as we know, uh, sexuality in black people, men and women uh, is completely racialized and sexual depictions of women and men uh, that are people of color on screen are tools of white supremacy. And previously on screen, you would usually see um, black trauma, like a rape or some other sort of sexual violence, as the like clinch clinching point for a black female character, and it would be the thing that drives her narrative. But Bill Gunn sort of upends this because um, he wrote like strips black sexuality of this depiction and. Like, quoting that it usually receives as, like, primitive or grotesque, animalistic, frightening, all of these things, and just brings it back to, like, really diverse, thoughtful representations of Black love and Black sex on screen. Especially the sex scene where
1: they're in the attic... It's like very, mm-hmm. it feels almost like a stage like you're it's very like totally. the lighting is like it's a very dark background. And then just these two people on like a white mattress. And yeah, it's like very dramatic lighting and really intimate, but not you're not really seeing much of anything. It's just like kind of like limbs and body parts like rolling and together. And when you
0: do see something, ganja is... Centered, Like, you see her right. face, her, like, pleasure, and her experience is centered, and that moment in the movie is kind of where the point of view shifts away from, where the first half of the movie we have Luther and Maida as, like, these sort of patriarchal narrators of the movie, and then we shift to Ganja, like, embracing her vampirism and, like, finding her space as sort of, like, this super divergent like they had a really good uh harry benshoff is a critic and he has a good quote he says um ganja moves through this film and quote survives hess's crisis of suicide and proudly carries on her monstrously queer afrocentric existence which i thought was a pretty cool characterization because ganja doesn't view it as a disease or something that she needs to repent from and you can sort of draw a parallel from Having to exist as a vampire and a cultural other and having to exist as a black woman experiencing marginalization and sexual violence on and off screen. And she is at like,
1: even before she's turned into a vampire and when she discovers she's like, I've always been a disease and this is like something right. that I accept and something that I claim for myself and an identity that I will like proudly wear. Um.
0: Yeah, and Ganja makes the choice not to follow Hessen to death. And Mm -hmm. she is intentional with that choice. And at that moment where Richard, the dinner guest, is getting out of the pool and running towards her, Ganja is self-satisfied. She's like shaking off the shackles of the patriarchal. Uh, sort of, like, stereotypes and hegemonies displayed by Luther and Hess. And she's taken claim over this, like, space. She's taken claim over her vampiric identity, even though it, like, rose out of a patriarchal relationship. And now, like, she is her own agent of sexual pleasure and agency.
1: She's also the main manipulator. Like, she does what she wants. Like, she goes after And she's Hess.
0: transparent about it, too,
1: which yeah. is the
0: best part. She's
1: very upfront about it. Uh, I wish she wasn't treating service workers so badly. But she, I don't know that, you know, she fell in love with Hess immediately. I think she fell in love with his what he could give her and, like, in her own pursuit of what she wanted. And he was the sad boy and, you like, he
0: would, you know, he yeah. was up
1: for it. And that's fine. Like, she got what she wanted.
0: Marlo David also... Uh, has this conception of Ganja as a blues woman. So that's a sort of, like, genre-defining, like, black... Not stereotype, but, like, archetype of the time and of black popular culture. Uh, So they are, like, erotic, but they also have this union, this marriage of, like, very fierce independence but sensual interdependence. So Ganja is... Like sexual, and she also like enjoys the attention she receives from her lovers, both Hess and uh, Richard. Hess and Richard, yeah. Richard is the dinner guest, mm. but also she exists in her own sphere and with her own rules, and she's carving out a place that are is free of like these hegemonic rules that are she's having like put into place by both Maida, the minister, Hess, etc. And she, I mean,
1: she, like, they invite this gender guest over and she has sex with him despite her, like, traditional marriage to Hess. And, like...
0: That was another good point this article made. I love article, you guys. <laughs> um, which is that a lot of times, like, exploitation movies that are also horror films push really hard to like other the monsters like this movie doesn't other the vampires it like creates an ecosystem that hinges on their existence and around them and a good example of that is when they invite like the polyamorous dinner guest over uh, and he is like accepted and it's not made to be like something that is outside of the realm of normality in this sphere so his like not unusual but like non-traditional approach to sex and love makes Ganja and Hess have not, like, a normal existence, but they don't have to be, like, monstrous, essentially. Right,
1: and they're, yeah, they're not, they don't have to answer to anyone else. They, like, have created their own world. Except for that Hess is upset um, with himself. He's having a hard time coming to terms with his... He's having a hard time. Vampire, vampirism. Um, I think it's also interesting because Bill Gunn, is a queer man and he his first movie wasn't even released because of its homoerotic story and so stop 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 it stop um stop exclamation point <laughs> and yeah he's like pushing boundaries of like heteronormative expectations of like what we think that love and sex looks like and could be. Yeah,
0: especially in the in the black community. Right. Like it's a celebration of black agency, um like black beauty. Bell Bell Hooks has the idea of like uh what does she call it? Stand by, looking through my notes of just me not knowing what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey. So she promotes a model of sort of like of you know a viewing where you have to like decolonize and pull back from the archetypes you see so i'm sorry i can't read you guys hold on there is a lot of information to go through too i like really was like i'm so good i'm taking notes but now i can't find anything in my notes because i'm stupid I mean, just let the dead. Let air it be. <laughs> Should I start? Cleaning be it?
1: cleaning. I meant singing, cleaning. Yes, give me a song. Uh, I can't
0: sing, but oh my god, this is so bad. Why I can't I be? I was
1: gonna say that black exploitation movies are also like the very first black exploitation movie by Melvin Van Peel Peebles, um, Peebles Peebles Peelbs, uh, sweet. Sweetback's badass song was very much a heteronormative, like fetishizing of a black male sexual right desires. And so, like, that in comparison to this, like supposed black exploitation movie is very different. It's like a very different approach. And he was doing it for the money too. Like it was very much a money grab.
0: I got it, you okay, guys. Here we are. Uh yeah, and it should be it, like I feel like I don't have a problem with it being a money grab, uh, if it isn't like something that props up white supremacist like structures of wealth, which it is, right? So right. it's really hard to like suss out where black exploitation belongs in an anti capitalist sort of like decolonization worldview because it is an intensely important cultural moment and cultural phenomenon that has roots in, like, the Black Panther movement and this sort of, like, new defining moment for Black cinema, but also it is an inherently, like, capitalist structure.
1: Right. I mean, and that doesn't downgrade... Well, no, it is, because they, you know, it was white producers and white studios giving money to Black people only so that they could make more money off of Black people. But... It's like, even I think though that's also why, even though that's what, go. even though that's how it started, it doesn't mean it doesn't downgrade any of the like cultural implications and deeper meaning.
0: No, totally. And I think something really telling is like Ganja and Hess is a defining moment for the exploitation film movement but also it isn't really a black exploitation film in many ways and it defies this sort of like capitalist structure that it's supposed to exist inside of so bill gunn is in that way i think an anti-capitalist revolutionary because he doesn't have seemingly doesn't have the desire to please like white higher-ups and production companies and chooses to like defy those structures on, and those like you know <laughs> <What>? <laughs> i just like a lot i'm so hot it's i'm like sweating balls you... so yeah he like those strictures he says i'm not going to like adhere to that right. i'm just going to like casually manipulate producers into not understanding what i'm doing trusting me completely and letting me make like revolutionary art films right but back to the bell hooks <laughs> term I was trying to come up with. She proposes uh, an oppositional gaze. So when we go to movies, we watch film, we intake media, like as black women, there is the need to have the sort of like oppositional gaze where you essentially have defenses up to push back on the like cishet white male gaze. But... This is at odds with the fact that black viewers, even with this oppositional gaze and like with this decolonization mindset, black female viewers always risk participating in their own fetishization, essentially. So Bill Gunn pushes past that and gives like just unfiltered, like without implication experiences of black sexual joy on screen. And I think that is a really important part of the canon. Right. I got
1: there. It was hard. You got hard. there. You were there. Uh I do I mean it she's having a good time, but Hess is all I don't he's not he's not. I think even like the sexual acts that he does engage in, he's, he's pretty sad about it. And I don't and even like when he picks up other women to have sex with, like it's always with this like uh like self-disgust like he throws up after he picks up the sex worker and he's he's when he kills the woman with the baby um they presumably had he, he picked her up to have sex and he's like sadly smoking a cigarette even with Hess he like can't find this joy he's like very very sad because of like his violent nature and he he's not embracing it and he's not enjoying himself so that's kind of sad
0: and I think that is also like intentional. So, yeah, because you're
1: not, he's not being fetishized because he's not having a good time. No.
0: And we have like a really complex vision of what black male characters can look like on screen because we have this sort of like shifting narrative structure where we hear from Luther, George Maeda, and we also sort of hear from Hess as like the overarching uh, pushing of the narrative. And so we have like, Maida, whose experience as a black artist is torturesome, like difficult. And these like negative stereotypes and negative behaviors that we see from Maida have to like be projected onto the entirety of like black personhood because of white supremacist structures. Then we see the minister whose narrative equates basically like African primitivism as distance from God uh, and his like focus on like the Western Christendom structures are like another part of I don't want to say the black experience I can't speak to the black experience but we know Christianity and the church are like a pillar of this like societal structure right and then Hess is painted as the sort of like affluent academic side of what these like people can look like and I think it's really telling that they all have narrative structures and points of view that, like, we're not necessarily in agreement with, right? Right. Like, and are
1: not in agreement with each other.
0: And Ganja pushes past, like, pushes past all of these heteronormative behaviors to find, like, her own way. But is it at the expense of the depiction of, like, black men on screen? Or are these, like, honest, decolonized, thoughtful, like portrayals.
1: I mean, I don't, I mean, I think like a woman taking possession of her own sexuality. I don't know that like she can't oppress anyone. There's no, there's no, you know, she's right. She's not even as a monster. She can't, she can only experience what she wants.
0: So yeah, she's not, I mean, all she can do is carve out her own place within the system that rejects her and vampirism is equated to like her blackness and her femness and it's a way where she pushes forward to like make her own space. Are you all right? Does your back hurt? Yeah,
1: my back does hurt. I was just stretching.
0: My back hurts too. Um
1: but I yeah, like all of the like the three main male and even if we count Archie is like they all have their own contradictions and their own goods and bads. There's no like clear yes. um binaries like there's like the reverend has his christianity but he's also poor and he's like understanding but still judging and then there's Maida who has like his he's feel feels like he's being true to himself with his art but he's also deeply sad and poor and like and then and not appreciative of anything that like he has or has had, and then there's Hess, yes. who has everything, who is wealthy and intelligent and still sad and still, like, longing
0: and wanting. So this is discussed in another article. Wow. I read, like, four articles. Wow. Um, and this one is called Ganja and Hess Vampire Sex and Addictions by Manthea Diawara and Phyllis Klotman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the concept, their thesis is essentially – That Hess's relationship to his vampirism essentially equates to what they call class vampirism. So Mm -hmm. he as like an affluent, wealthy black man who has uh, people that he employs uh, who are working class. I can only seek repentance through sort of, like, going back to Luther and, like, falling at his feet, repenting, and then committing suicide because of, like, the class vampirism that he has perpetrated against them. Which I think is an interesting thesis, and I like parts of it, but I don't know if it goes far enough, you know what I mean? I mean, he
1: is a wealthy man who is... Yeah, he's subjecting poor people to like either he's murdering them or he's making them work for him. We can talk about the less dead and, the, sex, and workers sex workers too. Um Yeah, so he kills a sex worker, he kills a, a woman with a baby. I'm not sure if she's also a sex worker I or not. Think I think she's she also is, a sex worker. right? Um, and then he kill and then Richard, the dinner guest, is also like a Victim of Hess, essentially. Right, yeah, but he's also, like, a a, someone of a lower class than he is. And then Archie... Right, and
0: they met at a community center, and we know that he is, like, a community member that doesn't have, like, the level of support or affluence financially that Hess does. And um, Archie is forced
1: into... Complicit, like to being complicit because he has he's to work for to him. Because, right. yeah, he and so that's another, like, he's putting people in a lower class and like compromising positions or murdering them, which that's just a capitalist structure.
0: I think the idea of like Hess is complicit in a capitalist structure and. I don't know if, like, the movie argues that because of his affluence, he has, like, perpetrated offenses against working class black people in his sphere. Uh, But the idea that he has to come back to Luther and, like, accept Jesus is really problematic for me, of course. um, Because... You shouldn't have to have some kind of like higher epiphany to know to like be in solidarity with the working class. And Hess gets redemption sort of because he has killed sex workers, which Ganja hasn't done. He is the only one really seeing like actively murdering on camera. And when Ganja is forced to kill Richard, she is like despondent afterwards and like crying out for Hess to help her. So he sort of like, perpetrates all of the like acts of vampirism that make like lower working class people suffer and then he is at the hands of one of his the people he's like perpetrated violence against mm-hmm. he is able to be like accepted and redeemed but that's yeah it's
1: just more work for
0: the reverend he's he has to right. do that but i mean
1: Ganja's is also like a capitalist because she she wants the money and she wants the power right. to order people around. So I don't know that she is being redeemed in that way because she's only been seen as like being rude and, and demanding and um, seeing them
0: as lesser than. I want to believe that Hess's suicide like radicalized Ganja, but she did. I don't know. She's like. It's hard from like an anti capitalist perspective because Ganja is like the center of this film and her like self actualization individually and you know, as Hass's partner are really important to depictions of black women on screen, but also she does exist in like an unabashed capitalist structure right. where she's like, you know, proudly <laughs> interested in subjugating working class people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, like, a... It's complex. I
1: it's... There's a lot going on here. That's, like, the only word we can muster up to describe Uh, this
0: movie. I don't
1: know. There's also, like, the he puts Bill Gunn puts like Western culture and African culture and African American culture in juxtaposition with each other constantly like we see the statues and then we see Mm -hmm. the church congregation and the music and we see like the African artifacts at Hess's house and like they're all they all have their own like complex symbolism of like but I mean I think mostly the Western culture is painted as bad because it is
0: I think so too uh Especially in the like depictions of George Maeda at right. the beginning and his, um, his like erratic behavior. But then when you're thinking about like the conflation of George's behavior as like a schizophrenic person who needs treatment, right? And then like categorizing Western art as bad, it's really damaging to see those like intertwined. But also, I don't know, like, I feel like I leave this movie. Thinking of every single person on screen as like a complex depiction right. of a person that doesn't adhere to any specific stereotype, except maybe like the Queen of Murcia and the sex workers on screen. Right. Those are maybe the only stock types that it's kind of difficult to reconcile. Uh, and they're all they're also women.
1: Uh of course. But the queen of murthia is played by um mabel king who also performs one of the songs on the soundtrack which i thought was interesting um but yeah like i mean this movie isn't super nice to sex workers it's like traditionally like no like a black female sex worker who doesn't have a name gets murdered We've seen that before. The funny thing is,
0: even in, like, all of the articles I read, the scholars and people with, like, pretty radical views and opinions uh, that were really, like, transformative and how they talk about the other characters have either nothing to say about the sex workers in the movie or they refer to them as prostitutes. Mm. So I think there's just this, like, level of radicalization of decriminalizing the sex work that just hasn't been reached. And I think... I mean, it's you can't say it's because of the time when the movie was made. Like sex work has always been work. It's the oldest profession right. and has sustained like people for generations. But I I don't know. Like, do we forgive Bill Gunn for this? Do we hold Bill Gunn accountable when we're white women and right. he's a like revolutionary black filmmaker that. Has like done so much for the genre and so much for uplifting non-stereotypical visions of Black futures, you know. It just seemed like an easy, it seemed too easy,
1: you know, to not give, mm-hmm. to not give them a voice at all or any sort of it. I don't know. It felt felt a little like, come on, you know, I of this like really complex lead female character who's like whose sexuality is. Central to the symbolism and the plot, mm. yeah. It was just like, okay, well, and we're still marginalizing sex workers, um, even in this revolutionary film. But I mean, yeah, he doesn't owe us anything. I don't know.
0: No, no one does. If no one owes, no person of color owes us to dumb fucks anything. Right. That's definitely true. Uh, yeah, but I think even the way. Obviously, there's, like, the addiction metaphor running through this whole thing. And you get, like, the sense that Rose, the sex worker in the wig who's, um, like, pimp comes into the apartment. I mean, I get, like, the connotation that Rose is an addict, right? Like, she needs to score like she needs a score so they have money to do something and it's not explicitly stated but there are connotations of like the uh like socioeconomic problems that affect working class and lower class black people Mm -hmm. while Hess has has the privilege of experiencing his addiction uh, with the assistance of like Archie and Luther to just basically make things happen for him and
1: yeah without any real consequences he doesn't he doesn't have to, like, come to terms with his murders. Except for that he commits suicide, but he's still he's still forgiven. He still has. He's been yeah, blessed Yeah, he went by to Luther. Luther. He's yeah. been
0: redeemed. Luther knows the, like, crimes against sex workers and working class people that he's perpetrated and, like, gives himself this, like, patriarchal authority to forgive Hess.
1: Which is a really, also, like, a really simplified, um... I think the same article that I was reading, like, calls it, like, his narration and us seeing things from Luther's point of view as, like, a very simplified Christian experience. I don't know. Totally. And for that to be, like, the very end of our second main character, you know, this feels a little
0: Western. I don't know. But then it's also... It feels...
1: It feels... Go ahead
0: was it no like? i don't i i was gonna figure it out as i went so if you have something actually to offer please go forward no i was just gonna say i don't know anything and it's complex
1: that was what i was yeah, gonna seriously say. we're fucking idiots i'm super dumb uh i mean i don't know i feel like this movie deals with death a lot better than a lot of our movies is that but hess is only freed in death and it's not really a it's not really a bad thing. Like he dies and it's, and Maida finds peace neutral. in yeah. death. And even though Ganja kills someone isn't, and is upset about them and then saves that person from death. It's not, she's really saving them for herself, not for them. She's like giving herself another little.
0: Yeah. I think I can say I appreciated the neutrality of Hess's death. He, goes into it like having made a pretty like objective decision and it isn't like ganja doesn't fall apart or like break down and her existence doesn't hinge on like the survival of her romantic partner like she builds her own world and has makes a decision that I mean, as far as we know, is informed and in alignment with his value system. Uh, and ganja has a neutral experience of it. Hess sort of has a neutral experience of right. it. It's not bad. It's not coded as evil or wrong. Right. It's it's. I feel
1: like it's coded more as pure, even in, uh, in Hess's letter. I don't. I don't like that word pure. Well, uh, that's what he calls it in the letter. It's like as pure as made and roses, made as letter. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think like it gives a lot of people the peace that they were
0: seeking, right? Maida and Hess. Uh, when Maida started reading Bill Guns as Maida started reading the suicide note, that was when I knew I was completely in over my head <laughs> oh, yeah. with this movie. Uh uh. <laughs> He's talking to black young men. I, I know nothing about this. Um And it was just like Smart writing, right? Yeah, it was smart. It was smart words. Yeah, it was fancy words. Um, but do you want to talk more about the addiction metaphor in this movie? Sure, tell me more about it. Well, I'm just, you know, just my my two cents is I think it is. Relevant, timely, and important still right now that we see uh, an affluent, upper class person suffering from addiction uh, instead of the coding that I sort of see with Rose the Sex Worker, but it's obviously an addiction metaphor. Obviously Hess struggles with his addiction uh, and with its consequences for his identity and personhood. But the fact that Hess is a main character who's centered, who isn't coded as bad or evil because of his addiction, and we get that set up through Luther, I think is really important, particularly during like This sort of like Reagan era, Bush era war on drugs and how Mm -hmm. we see like black boys and men going to prison for nonviolent drug offenses. I think this is a really good touch point to say there are multiple ways to be addicted to something. There are multiple ways to experience disease, which is another sort of through line in the movie. Mm -hmm. And none of them have to do with who you are as a person or your value as a person and I think Bill Gunn does a good job of presenting the addiction as sort of irrelevant to Hess as a character in many ways, and especially to Ganja as a character.
1: I mean, yeah, he was, he's essentially in the same position as he was before. He's still unhappy, and he's still seeking a sort of freedom from his existence before and after the addiction. And also, like, I think it's interesting a lot that this movie was made by a a queer man who... During, like, this is, you know, the beginning of the AIDS crisis. This is, like, Mm -hmm. smack dab in the middle of it. And then also that, like, Christianity and Christianity in black culture are also centered is pretty interesting and complex. And I don't have much to say about it because I don't know a lot about it. But I just think that I think it's
0: it's just so multifaceted. Like, there's so much to take away. And I think that is why, like, the bell hooks like version of watching this movie is like a decolonized viewer where you let yourself like pull back from what you're seeing and walk away without any like implicit biases or suppositions of what these black characters are supposed to look like Mm -hmm. is the most valuable thing about this movie. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It's like really gorgeous depictions of black love, joy, sex, pain like there are so many ways and so many things you could take away from this movie that will make you like a more nuanced thoughtful person than who you were going in and that's what I really appreciated about it
1: and it has like yeah it's very non-linear it's very art house it's very like yeah you're just experiencing this movie rather than like hitting every plot point um And like I don't know yeah it's like there's and also with the soundtrack they're hitting you on like subliminal levels a lot of the tracks play multiple Mm -hmm. times before they're played at their loudest point yeah Yeah, so that like you're getting these sort of like subconscious connections between one thing and another thing um which is I will
0: say Hess when are you going to work where do you work he works at the museum ambiguous museum um, Good for him we for being all. at such a senior level that he doesn't even need to show up anymore. That's what we all aspire. Good to. Good for him. <laughs> um, Dwayne
1: Jones, man, it's a lot to take in.
0: Who's also? Uh, it's interesting that he's in this movie because he, in 1968 he was he sort was of just a in. scream queen in Night was of the his, Living Dead.
1: So the the role of his second followed, role? yeah, the that followed it directly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do Night of the Living Dead.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, so he moves from the sort of like traditional exploitative horror genre. And then, I mean, horror is so unkind to people of color and women of color. And I think seeing this movie that hinges on traditional horror structures just completely upend the like – pathology of what horror does to marginalized people is just such a like beautiful thing to experience i feel bad for i mean he didn't get very
1: many roles after this i don't know he died pretty young didn't he 88 i think he died when he was like
0: 54 yeah he was 51 i'm on the wikipedia
1: page now that's why i know
0: he was great in this movie and i'm not gonna say how fucking hot he was because we're not okay he's really hot but we're not fetishizing black people we're celebrating complex characters and complex depictions i've got eyeballs and also you know he's I mean? sexy yeah, yeah i can only sexy. do so much uh, oh
1: gun's really sexy too i don't know about that one but i think don't be a hater maybe it's the mustache i don't know i love a mustache Maybe it's like his tone of voice. He just like did such a good job of being like irrational and aggressive. That I I know, was like it's so good. Ugh.
0: But yeah, that's like how but it is supposed like, to be. He's irrational and aggressive, and then the next minute he's like centered and right. you're like back. Right? right? It's so wild. Which
1: is like yeah, the the like mental health of it all, and Marlene Clark, set so, like. Also gave like a very so layered good. portrayal of like being I yeah totally like agree. ruthless and rude and aggressive and then also being like calming and assertive
0: and gentle. It's yeah, it's very and thoughtful, and thoughtful and witty. And I also like that this movie depicts like very emotionally charged high art with banality. Like mm-hmm. she's making dinner. She wants grits and grape jelly. Like. It's a very like human experience outside of the fact that they're not technically human. Yeah. Right.
1: And then even when Maida and Hess are talking, when Maida first gets to the house and he's telling that story about like cunt and cut and like it just and like their awkwardness, it just,
0: yeah, it's like has a very like intimate. Totally. Um, Do you have anything else you want to say about I this? We haven't movie? said
1: anything in the last hour. So I think. I think I've said it all.
0: Well, I read four articles. I read two. I think I have the uh, moral high ground here. I'm very smart. I read two and fell Uh, asleep in the middle of a documentary. So I, I couldn't watch the documentary because this. So we watched the documentary Bad Ass Cinema. From 2002, which Rebecca mentioned is an IFC documentary. Literally, the first person on screen is Quentin Tarantino. It was so fucking frustrating and kind of so IFC. And so and
1: what?
0: Like so IFC. Yeah, it is kind of. You know, I know. Um, But yeah, I don't. But seeing Bell Hooks and Tupac Shakur's mother and like there were a lot of like great thinkers that I really didn't know about before. So I thought it was worth a watch. Yeah. And if you haven't watched Ganja and Hess, take two hours out of your day if you're feeling in the, like, right headspace to accept a kind of wild experience, you know? Right. Uh, I got it free
1: uh, through my light library uh, on what I'm going to tell everybody what it is so that everyone else knows. Canopy? Canopy with a K. I wanted to make sure that's what it's called. Yeah, Canopy, you just, like, enter your... um, Usually it depends on what library you had, but your your card Do library your...
0: cards expire. Uh, I don't I I've never I had to renew probably, a library card. Before. I don't think I have either, but I got my Boston Public Library card when I moved here. And that was like 10 years ago. I mean, I had. Yeah, I got mine when I first moved.
1: And I had it for six years and nobody told me anything. You're such a
0: library person. I love the
1: library. I love. I like that I like about the you. quietness. I love the smell of books. Yeah, I used to just—I mean, I used to work like sort of near it, so like yeah, I would just go in before work and like sit around and cry, cry at books. Yeah, um, I am very—I meant bad. cry because you have to go to work. Oh, cry because I have to go to work. Uh, as much as I love libraries, I'm terrible at returning my library books on time, and I have so many fees. I'm sure. I also just straight up accidentally stole a few of them. Don't tell the government. Uh, How are library fees a thing? That just seems like it should be illegal. I've paid a lot of them, so... I'm basically never on time returning my books. Just because, like, it's a whole Can thing. you renew
0: your books online? You should be able to
1: renew your books. Yeah, but I renew, 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 and then I still have to return. Not because I'm still reading them, but just because I'm too lazy to return them, you know? Yeah, you just got a pile. Yeah. It's a big pile. Uh, you can also uh check out like 72 books from the bpl did you know that it's it's a wild one time at one time yeah who would do that i don't know i think the most i've ever taken out were like six
0: yeah i think i've taken three maybe at a time it's also when you're a train person it just depends on what you can handle carrying yeah
1: yeah riding on the train but then you get your book from the library and then you read it on the train on your way home
0: you can I can't start a book on the train. Why? I have to be like in a book on the train already because there's too many distractions. I have to know like the groundwork. <laughs> I have to understand <laughs> the landscape already. I feel like I always
1: started books on the train. So I'd be like, oh, I want to read this book and then pop it in my bag and then go to work and then that's my book noise.
0: Speaking of books, we're thinking we're going to start just like doing a book club when we have time yeah does anyone want to do that with us it's a level on our patreon um but if enough peeps are interested in it we'll fucking rejigger our patreon levels and just do it right. with you yeah um or we'll have if thank you to our patrons thank you very much all of you we love you thank you all uh we were gonna we could always do more than one But I think we can do whatever we we want if we have the emotional energy to do it, which I don't. I don't. I'm tired all the time. I'm tired right now. That's why I'm stretching so much. Um. Well, let's let this crazy kid stretch off mic. So if you want to find us, we're at Spooky Succubus underscore cast on Instagram. Uh, And we have an email account which is spooky succubuscast at gmail.com send us a note what was i gonna say oh well we didn't fuck anything
1: um i'm gonna say fuck vampires but in a good way you know like just be their blood bag
0: you are so in to true blood it's showing (laughs) i
1: couldn't watch all of it but i did watch
0: some of it i'd watch so horny for what the fuck is his name Yeah, the guy that was in dead silence. Um, Uh, Oh, also, our April, or sorry, our May bonus episode is going to be Urban Legend, which we have to record, like, now. (laughs) uh, Guess who makes a very
1: small, not even cameo cameo in Urban Legend?
0: I'm going to say Carrot Top. (laughs) Pam Greer.
1: Hey, I don't remember that. She... So the security guard is watching. Like the campus
0: cop or something? Is watching. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A, I forget which
0: which movie it is, but starring Pam Grier. And she's like saying Pam Grier's Okay. The only cop that I stand in the entire world is the security guard from Urban Legend. Um, <laughs> she's the best. I'll tell you. I, wait for it because I'm going to be quoting all the lines.
1: Um, Not that kind of 18. That's
0: my favorite. Uh, and then uh, next week we're gonna do, Idle Hands. We just decided. Idle Hands or the Devil play Devil's plaything. Rebecca is too horny for Devon Sawa and she it's, has to put it back in her pants. I can't.
1: Uh, I think this is uh, when we were talking about Final Destination. I forgot about this, but
0: this is the
1: this movie is the reason why I like Devon Sawa so much.
0: All right, I haven't seen it actually, so <gasps> I'll have to get into it. I know. It's so terrible. You know, I haven't seen so many things. You're going to hate it. No, I probably won't hate it. Just wait. remember, everyone, I can't ever hate anything as much as I hated Jack Frost. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, you disliked a a lot of the movies that I've picked, but. uh... What? No, I don't. I mean, I will say I really hated American Psycho and I just don't get it. I'm sorry. I I don't get it. I know. I know we don't have to talk
1: about it but what was it? there was another one i don't even fucking you don't want to relitigate what...
0: that yeah uh, i thought the sixth sense sixth sense was pretty boring just because i already knew what the thing was right. you know and you
1: and i don't even remember i feel like there was another one that we we're talking about that i really like that you didn't like but Forget it. Was it? The it was thing? probably
0: made in the 1990s. No, I liked the thing a lot. Oh God, remember Valentine?
1: I forgot all the movies that we did. Honestly,
0: I loved Valentine too. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just looking through our feed I right am, now?
1: Yeah, trying to remember what we did.
0: Okay, I'm. I will tell you which movies I hate from the feed. Is this good? <laughs> is this good content? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh shit! I started playing it accidentally. Whoops. Whoopsie. Okay, I didn't like. Thirteen Ghosts. I didn't like Thirteen Ghosts. (laughs) I didn't really like The Evil Dead that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, The Haunting in Connecticut, I fucking hated. Yeah, I hated that one, too. too, It was too sad. It's so Uh, sad. Jennifer's Bodies, I'm not a huge fan of. But even, like, the horror movies
1: that I hate, I don't really hate
0: them. Like I I still like watching them. Yeah. Like, I kind of hated House of Wax, but... No, I love that movie. Top did. 10 <laughs> horror movie. Disgusting. I would say the only one I like really hate, hate, hate will never watch again is probably American Psycho. I'm sorry to say. Wow. Meanwhile, I could watch it right now. Go ahead. OK. OK. So uh, fuck white supremacy. Fuck white producers exploiting black talent. Uh, fuck heteronormative. Uh, fuck heteronormative behaviors structures. that are damaging and structures. Uh, yeah. Fuck capitalism. Mm-hmm. Fuck Archie being like basically tied to that house so he yeah. can never leave. Like, is he a vampire? Setting. Is he a vampire that has to stay there forever? Oh, And Arch. fuck each other in a nice way. Uh, fuck Quentin Tarantino, too. In a not nice way. In a way. not
1: nice way. In a bad way.
0: And Jamie Foxx, wherever you are, fuck you in a nice way. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we're not fetishizing anyone.
0: No, but I love you, Jamie Foxx. Also really good singer. Okay, he's He's really really multi talented.
1: everything, you
0: know? All right. So I have to turn my AC back on before I pass out. So we have to call it. Bye. Bye.